We haven't used that music in a while, you know, just throwing some up there. It's kind of exciting. So, uh, Vin, how you doing out there? We haven't met up in a while. I was away last week. Oop. Vin, are you out there? Oh, he's getting his video going. Big things are happening. Although I'm not hearing or seeing anything. Yeah, that's interesting. wonder how Vin's doing out there. Yeah, maybe the cold has uh, stopped his internet connection completely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how's it going out there, everybody? Hopefully pretty good. Yeah, we lost Vin. Um, going, going pretty good. Everybody's staying warm. Is anybody from the south where they got uh, like a, a few specks of snow and had to shut the cities down? Now that's just not fair. Come on. It was wet and it froze and there's ice and it's not really fair. You're picking on them. I'm not picking on them. I'm just kind of pointing out the fact that they should invest in a couple snow plows and a couple bags of salt. <laughs> Iced in. What better way than the noon hour at the dojo? I agree. <clears throat> so who shovels the walk in front of the dojo? Um, <laughs> well, let me tell you a funny story about that. Every time this year it snowed, the snowplow comes by and plows the big lot in front of us. And Andrew mysteriously goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to work from home this morning. And so I get in a little bit later, and there's a three-foot pile of snow in front of our door. <laughs> I, I'm not saying the two incident, the, the two are related, but I've never seen Andrew in here. And he says, I changed my mind. I'm coming in a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I think maybe I've seen tire tracks parked in his spot, reversed out, <laughs> and gone. Jeez. That's kind of rude. You can the landlord for that one, man. To, to my credit, you know, uh, the apartment that we rent, the guy that plows the driveway of, of our driveway is pathetic. And so usually I can't really get out unless I wanted to, like, shovel my whole driveway, which I don't want to do. So it's not – I'm not trying to make Carl shovel things on purpose. Although, with that said, he has great form, and he really does the edges – of the snow really well when he shovels it out. So what would you do? That's the question. You know, um, there you go. All right. We've got some comments coming in. We live in paradise. Snow talk. I'm tired of hearing people talk about their beautiful weather in, down south. Well, I don't think they have beautiful weather this weekend. Then. <laughs> yep. I think they're suffering with the rest of us at the moment. I think they're having a little bit of an identity crisis, you know. When it gets cold in Albany, people start to get creative. They start to have parties. <laughs> um, you know. uh, and everybody and their uncle has a little snowblow company, so, you know, we're, we're happy. <laughs> Can you tell that, we're, that, that I'm lying? All right. Is it supposed to be 70 degrees in Albany or somewhere else, John? That sounds exciting. Something tells me it's not going to be 70 in Albany. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he's got a good point. No one retires and goes north. No one goes into Maine. 
Retires to the woods. I've determined that uh, I, I'm going to become the world's youngest snowbird. Uh, and <laughs> I'm, moving I'm moving the business down south. It's happening. It's just a matter of when. You'll be playing bridge before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I forget, I had another question. I forgot what I was going to ask. Uh, so, let's move on to our manometer discussion. So, Vin, I saw that you had something on making, um, the perfect manometer on your website, which is sort of what inspired me to, uh, bring up this topic today, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the, it was the top top project from 2013, and it was making your own manometer out of a, an old blood pressure cuff, which is technically measures inches of mer- uh, millimeters of mercury. So let me see, show there. There's the there's the gauge, and it's basically just getting an old blood pressure cuff and just ripping it apart. <laughs> so get an old blood pressure cuff. This one I got on eBay for a literally uh, three fifty. So it was cool. one of those, it's just a vintage, I don't know, it's probably like 30 years old or something like that. And, uh, yeah, with, and with shipping, shipping was like a couple of bucks. And so, so for almost less than $10, I got this thing. And you just sort of pull it off. It has, comes with tubing. And I just added some. By, you so, buy surgical tubing on eBay too. I mean, uh, either on eBay or on Amazon. And you get these little brass connectors. And So, um, before we go too far, um, so let's go back to the very beginning. What exactly is a manometer? Does it help us become more manly? More manly? Yes, it measures your manliness. <laughs> yeah, like a manometer, right? Um, but yeah, for those who, who might not know what it is, let's, let's do the basics. So a manometer does what exactly? Well, a manometer actually measures inches of water. I'm not sure the meaning's probably come from some sort of Latin word. Uh, it measures uh, pressure in inches of water. So air pressure... Uh, measured, um, you don't have a natural gauge attached to some sort of reservoir of air, you can use water to gauge how much pressure is being, is filling a reservoir, vessel, whatever. Um, so depending on how much inches of water is being applied, that's a way of measuring how much pressure is going in and out of a system. Gotcha. So, so what does this have to do with bagpiping? What does this have to do with bagpiping? Well, bagpiping is an application of thermodynamics, right, or hydrodynamics, right? It's just air pushing through a system. And we want, what, constant pressure of air all the time, or as constant as we can get it anyway. So the, the manometer is a way of sort of measuring your own ability to maintain that steady pressure through the system. Gotcha. So how does that thing hook up to the pipes then? Or give us this a thing, clue of how that thing works. This is, I've got a, sort of a standard uh, half-inch stopper, 5 8 inch stopper, I think, with a hole, and, and then the connector goes through, and the hose connects. It couldn't be easier. And this just goes into the top of the drone, your tenor drone, and then you just sort of watch the gauge as you play. I've got plenty of hose here, too, so I can wrap that thing around as much as wherever I can hook this thing. This has got a handy little hook on the back, too, so you just sort of hook it onto a, a music stand. Pretty cool. Oh yeah, that is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, the hardest part about making them is is getting the the cork to go into the top of the drone, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Like this, this, that's the advantage of having um, the surgical tube. Is I think it's quarter inch, I believe, might be one eighth inch in, inside diameter. 
So I can use a smaller connector. If you're using the, you know, so you make your own out of, say, silicon tubing with water in it, um, I think the smallest measurement of that that comes in is like the half inch or something like that. So you have to buy a bigger connector and jam it into the cork, and then the cork gets too fat for the hole, right? So you got to make adjustments and things like that. So this this is this actually has an advantage because it's just I can use a smaller one, so I can the, the cork doesn't mis doesn't get misshapen, so it stays the same size and goes right in. Yeah, I mean one of the things about manometers that um, as well is you have to be careful how many restrictive things exist in the um, in the tubing because it can give you a false sense of how steadily you're blowing because. Uh, because the air, the restricted air gives sort of like a smoother airstream. That's, that's what we found as well. So, you know, you can put like a, an elbow joint in that cork. We've tried yeah. that. But the problem is that elbow joint restricts the airflow and so like smooths everything out and makes people seem like really thin blowers. Um, mm -hmm. Carl, why don't you go into the other type of manometer that we use uh, for dojo teaching stuff? Sure. Well, in, instead of using a pressure gauge like uh, Vin was showing there, we just use uh, the, the straight water manometer. Um, and, and as he was discussing there, it's you, you pour water in, a, in basically a U-trap um, in, in a U-shape. And if you use either pressure or vacuum, it doesn't really... Um, matter which one, uh, you will have, it will show you the difference in pressure. Um, and that just weight, the works on the, on the weight of water. Uh, and, and so we do basically the same thing. It's just a giant piece of tubing that we've, we've, uh, that we've made into a, a kind of a U-shape. And then one connects to uh, one of your drones. And we generally recommend taking out the, the drone read just because it, it's going to be more sensitive that way as Andrew was mentioning. Anything that kind of restricts it is going to um, make it seem like you're doing better, uh, which can be a good boost um, for, for your ego, but uh, if, if we really want to work on going steady, we want to see every little minute um, pressure difference. So uh, we like the water specifically because you can see it, it, in a way, it sort of graphs your your progress. Uh, you, you can see big changes um, an instant after they happened. For example, if you have a big dip and you blinked on a uh, on a dial, you might miss it and not have noticed. Uh, but on the water, you're going to see this big movement back and forth um, from that. So in a way, it's 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 kind of like a um, a moving average. Uh, it, it gives you a moving average, and if you can keep that steady, that means you're, you're doing really steady across a longer period of time. So, uh, I don't know. What, what else am I missing there, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line with the, with the water manometer that we use is I feel like it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more punishing, and it just uh, much more clearly illustrates things, and um, it's a lot easier to work with. Um, yeah, the water's the water's pretty sensitive, and, and I've, I've noticed in my sort of homegrown version here is a uh, the is the millimeters of mercury in inches of water translates to about like one mark on the uh, one tiny mark on the uh, on the gauge. So I literally have to keep the needle 
from moving at all. So if the movement, if it jostles just a little bit, I know I'm sort of bouncing beyond your little lines, the red and blue lines there. It's like only one second therm regular thermometer is like each line is two, and two millimeters of mercury is probably equal to about one inch of water. So the needle literally has to stay motionless while I'm playing, which isn't not as easy as it seems. <laughs> so it's a, you know, but the water does definitely gives you a better illustration of like, you know, where... Um, you know, where you might be sort of um, faltering if it's bouncing around, you know, in, in, in the process of things. You know, the, the, the gauge, and, and, and even the commercial gauges that are out there do the same thing. It's like when they move, it's, so it doesn't really give you an idea of where in the process you might be sort of, sort of get a bit weak when it, when it bounces around. Um, I, I, that's what I've noticed anyway, but it's good practice anyway just to keep everything stable. Yeah, there you go. What's the marking designations on there, Carl? Turn on your microphone there, Carl. You're muted. It's um, inches of water and PSI. PSI. So how, how, what's, the, what's the distance between the marks for inches of water? Is it large or small? Is it like what's the increments? Yeah, let me just grab it and I'll... What's he grabbing? Oh, yeah, it's just like, it, um, my only thing is like when you're watching the gauge, it's sometimes easier just to watch the bouncing water level than it is to watch the needle on a gauge. That's what I found. Somehow I'll figure out these headphones. So, it's a funny story because this one isn't the right one because, watch. It's <laughs> way too easy. Um, so I bought one that was wrong. This is one that's right. And I lied. It's pounds per square inch and kilopascals. Um, and so that's an interesting one just because we all kind of know what PSI is. We put it in our tires and, and, and so on and so forth. And most reeds are going to fall about between a pound and a pound and a half of pressure. Um, so I got that kind of marked out here. But yeah, you can just buy these, these gauges online, Amazon. Kind of cool. Yeah, and they, and they do the job, you know. It's like in terms of just, uh, you know, visualizing what's happening. You know, it's really kind of the key to all of this is you want to be able to have a visual sort of gauge of what you're doing, you know. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times we're used to listening, which is not a bad habit to get into, as you're playing to sort of listen for the steadiness and unsteadiness um, points in your, in your process there. But uh, that can get deceiving too because things sort of, you know, sound travels and it sort of changes and, and you might still be steady, but your sound might might change depending on you know moisture and conditions and things like that. So it's kind of a different, uh, just an, another sensory input. Yeah. So Rosemary says we don't put a little bit of cotton at the other end to smooth out the water pressure. Um, the answer is we definitely do not do that, right? Because we I want to know the unadulterated truth about my blowing. I don't need it to be smoothed out. I want I want it to be perfectly smooth without any uh, restrictive elements placed in the path of the air because, uh, you know, I, I don't care how, um, you know, I don't care about smoothing unless I'm actually producing that smoothness on my own. Uh, and then Nate was asking, does the length of the tube affect the sensitivity? And the answer is, I'm not quite sure. I don't think the length of the tube affects the sensitivity so much as it does the, um, I don't know, I, I think it might actually just 
I don't know. That's a, it's a good question. I think you want enough to, you want enough tubing for the sensitivity to level out and balance. That's I think that's the key. Like so, if you know you hit, once you hit that point, you've hit it, and if you go longer, you're not going to get any better response. You know. Well, it doesn't really have anything to do with length of tubing as much as the amount of water that you've put in it. So as long as you have enough tubing right. to adjust the amount of water, that's what's really going to change the sensitivity. Uh, if you have too much water, it's it's not going to be nearly as sensitive. Uh, if you don't have enough, you'll end up with a water fountain for a brief period. <laughs> and, you know, if the tube's pulled in the right direction, you get sprayed with a face full of water. Um, so you'll, you'll kind of find that um, that kind of medium. Um, and most of them are about um, 25 feet of tubing, just... And that gives you about 10 feet of tubing from the top of the manometer to get to your drone. Um, that's usually about a comfortable length. Um, and so the, the mechanism itself is uh, six or seven feet tall, um, and you fill it up about halfway. Yeah, so I was just thinking about, about two feet to three feet of water actually in the tube is probably enough, I would think. You don't need much yeah, more than doubled that. around now, so it ends up being at about right. six feet. Yeah, we should. Um, how do you make a Guinness World Record? The world's um, largest manometer. Well, <laughs> I was thinking the the longest time, that the longest period of steady blowing as per a manometer. <laughs> we, uh, we need to register that. That would be okay. that would be quite the record. Do they have Guinness World Records for bagpipe stuff? Like I remember, I remember a while back that there were two guys that did this. You know, two young guys did it where they literally played for I think for three or four days straight. And there was pictures of them in in, in the paper. Uh, I remember news shots of them like playing chess while they were playing. You know, so they got the pipes going, and I guess they're not making you know playing tunes the whole time, but they just got noise coming out of the thing, and they're playing chess with the table in front of them, and they got like things like. <laughs> it's been a little bit bizarre. So, but uh, yeah, the, the sort of constant noise from the instrument. I think there is a record for that. You know, quick search probably turns something up. Excellent. John says his manometer measures about thirty inches of water when he blows steadily without squeaking. I think that's about right, Carl. What are the different uh, ranges for channel reads that um, you know, like what do the channel reads usually register at? Well, the most, the, the easiest read is usually around, uh, I mean, we're talking really, 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 really beginner, easy, easy, easy read. You can sometimes find ones that are as low as 16 or 15 inches of water. Uh, most, quote, easy reads are right around 20 to 24 or 25 inches of water. Um, a medium goes up from there, you know, 24, 25 to about 32, 34, um, and, and it's all up to personal preference what you consider medium. Uh, if you want to put medium hard in the middle there, it goes up. Hard reads are usually around 40 or 45 um, inches of water. Whew. That seems That's like a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and honestly, the, the, the inches of water, the inches don't necessarily, um, aren't necessarily important when you're practicing, you know, I guess for gauging 
strength of read, it makes sense, but, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so, but, you know, to see, to see your personal practice, you know, like the inches of water is kind of meaningless. You know, you really want, um, you just want that level to remain in the sweet spot, right? And, and not move. And that's your goal, right? Hmm. Interesting. This looks like a few people are typing here, so we'll see. John is happy Just as a quick know. reference, 40 inches of water is 1.44 pounds PSI. Um, so it's really not all that much, but it is, as I said, at the upper range um, of of what we would yeah, ever display. Fifty inches of water is one point eight pounds uh, psi, and that's that's really starts to become uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and you know, and the 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 trick here, and it's like you know, here a lot of people discuss you know inches of water about how much like using that the number as a personal goal or something like that, and, it, and really, um, you know, depending on the kind of read that you want to play and you want to build your strength to, I guess uh, it might. Be relevant, but the real the real trick is to really you know know where your tolerances lie, right? You know you have to know where you're blowing too hard, you know, for your own personal comfort versus too easy. And I think that you know the the, the manometer level there and keeping it, you know, where's the point you can keep it in the sweet spot, you know, uh, which read is that, and then pushing that level to see if you can keep it that steady with another read is a little bit harder, you know, sort of irrespective of the of the number you know, the inches of water. Um, it's really about just sort of making sure that that line just sort of remains steady, you know. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter what your your number is, except uh, it's really handy for ordering reads. Um, so that's kind of nice to know. I like to get a read that comes to me at uh, 28, Yeah, 20, 20 is a good number. That's a good number. I mean, a, a good sort of broken in read for me, I think, you know, my little gauge here is hitting like the 60 mark in millimeters of mercury, which translates to about 33 pounds, uh, 33 inches of water, which is probably pretty good, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's a solid kind of easy medium read. And uh, so, yeah, if you order one at, say, 28 or 35, might break in a few... Uh, it will break in a few inches of water, so it's handy to know kind of what you like when they show up, um, and then you can order reads as yeah. such. And, and if you have doubt, you know, if, you have, if there's any doubt, you know, you, you've got your system, right? If you've got your manometer set up, and even if you've got, you know, sort of a gauge or something, you know where your comfort level lies. So if you put it in the read, and it's supposed to be at 30 inches of water, and, and you find yourself, trying, you know, blowing at 40 or more to, like, keep it steady or something, um, you know, those are good things to sort of know how that feels, you know, when, when you know when you sort of a read that should be at a certain level is not, instead of sort of accepting that it should be at that level, and that's what you're blowing, you know. These yeah, sort of there's, a, um, there's a fundamental flaw with all of that stuff, too, which is a bagpipe read plays at a wide variety of different pressures, um, so there's a fundamental flaw when people say, like I always kind of 
you know, I'm sorry if you've ever written me an email like this, I apologize, but I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit when people send back reads because it doesn't match a perfectly, you know, a perfect water number. Because Do they do that, really? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I wanted, I wanted my read at 36, and this one is definitely more like a 33. So I'm sending back, you know, all 35 reads that I ordered. Um, but but the interesting happened. thing is, no, that's never happened. But I'm, I'm, you know, my my point is, a read probably has a range. A good read will have a range of probably five to ten inches of water where it actually sounds. For example, I just tested my solo read because. Um, someone was asking about the pros playing nose blowers. Uh, my read is definitely uh, as close to a nose blower as possible, certainly during the winter time. Um, and mine was in the range of pretty much what Carl says there, like 20 to 25. But the sweet spot of my read is close to 25, but it'll start to make a sound around 20. So, you know, if you want to read... Uh, like the, the actual only way to do it would be, you know, find me a read where the sweet spot equals a certain number of inches of water because a read will sound at a much lower pressure. Right, right. And a lot of reads, sometimes a lot of reads have larger tolerances and other reads have smaller tolerances. Like, so that's, that space might be very narrow, you know, before it makes noises um, versus another read that has, like, a bigger range, you know, before that's it makes right. noises. Yep, that's exactly right. And... Um, you know, uh, here's the formula to determine whether or not your reed is a nose blower. The formula is pretty simple. What you do is you take your pointer finger and, and you close one nostril. That's horrible. And then you put the blowpipe of your bagpipes in the other nostril and blow. Um, and then if you can keep your pipes going steadily using that technique, then your reed is officially a nose blower. Yeah, I think I think the mucus is good for seasoning additives too. I think that's oh, good. for sure. Yeah. Oh, think, oh, come on. <laughs> I think I think you're right. You know, I think that's and moisture that's control, big. man. That's his job. For sure. Yeah, that's what mucus is all about. Oh, um. No, no. <laughs> He's a cat about to attack him. Doing something over there. Uh, yeah, see, people, people've got it right here. I mean, you know, if there was a way to make sure that mucus was sanitary, I'm sure we would use that instead of airtight seasoning. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around people like sending back reads because they're actually sitting at their, in their in their studio practice space, or whatever, measuring out all of these reads. You know, like measuring out the read and have the, they got their board with a manometer set up with like markings and increments and measuring out the read. Like, I, I think that, that takes a lot of energy, that. man. I'd rather put that energy into playing tunes, you know. I, I, I think that was very much made up. <laughs> but, but, yeah. you, but you, do, you do hear a lot of people talking about that kind of stuff, and, you know, and, and if anybody does have those sort of boards set up with, like, markings, I mean, they, it's a helpful visual, um, but you're really, it's really about what, how it feels, right? Like, where you are most sort of optimal, you know, what, what it feels like when things are working the way they're supposed to be working. And and being familiar with that, you know, physically, um, so you can continue to do it <laughs> and repeat it, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like uh, too many people struggle all the time, and these are the same people who may know how many inches of water they blow, but they're still struggling. You know, the idea is to really be able to optimally play, 
at that sweet spot where the reed is, you know, you're, you're steady and the reed is blowing and it's full point, and you can do that all the time. Um, so, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, he was a lot of people think technology solve all the problems. I think people are just looking for something to help them, right? And I think that's what all it is. Is like I want to be able to. I want something that's going to tell me that I'm doing the right things. <laughs> you know, well, that's what the gauges are all about. You know, I think that's the interesting thing about the gauge. Is the reason I don't like the gauge is because people think if they can keep their needle pretty steady, that means they're a good blower and that they've got it figured out, which mm-hmm. is completely not the case. Right. Um, and um, yeah, and and so I like I like the water tube. I certainly use the water tube for teaching because it's virtually impossible to get that water to stay still, right? So it's not a matter of trying to get it steady, but to limit the unsteadiness, which makes it a much better tool rather than like Ian's pointing out. Right? It's not a crutch or some magical solution if we plug a manometer in. It's simply a tool that we're going to use to get better. Just like a tuner is a tool to help us get things in tune more efficiently, but we still have to be able to use our ears and be able to discern what is in and out of tune. Yeah, like, I mean, you could be playing, and you could be doing a pretty good job of keeping the water within those two lines, right? But you, could, might, you might have a slight, you know, a slight variance, which is only for a split second. And it's barely perceptible sound-wise on the instrument. You know, the generator or the, no, uh, the drums might not even waver one bit, or it's if unless you were standing right next to the player, you would never hear it. But the water has jumped like all over the place. <laughs> you know, so the water will, like fall below the line and then jump up past the line and then like and then steady out again for that one brief millisecond. But it's just that one brief moment that may have, you know, just that just sort of shift in your body maybe that just caused that sort of. Uh, variance, but it's barely perceptible sound-wise. Like, it still sounds... That's why I really like the water manometers, because it really is like that moving average, and if you have an outlier, if you will, uh, that has a really high or low pressure, it's going to reflect. Exactly, yeah. Uh, And and the gauge, too, I've noticed the same thing. You know, it's like the needle might bounce, but nothing has changed in the sound. It's just sort of, maybe I shifted my arm or something, or maybe it's just a, a brief variance in between cycles or something that caused it, but the sound didn't change, really. And, you, you know, you, when you listen to recording stuff, like you can hear, it's like you wait for that moment and you don't hear it. So you have to think, you, as long as you're focused on the right things, you know, that variance is possible without any kind of adverse effects, you know, over, you know overall. Yeah, what is the approximate range of values between the blue line and the, and the red line? on this diagram? And the answer is it's going to vary from read to read. Um, you know, the more, um, you know, let's see, the bigger the range, generally speaking, the wider the harmonic spectrum of the read is, um, you know, but you don't always get, a, you know, a whole lot of crackle. Um, and so it's kind of interesting. Uh, coincidentally, I think that, that good pipe, a, a lot of good pipe bands will find reads with a relatively small range which makes it easier for a player to blow in tune. And the harder the read, it tends to be a smaller range differential as well. So, so yeah, John, the answer to that question is there's no definitive answer there. But, yeah, probably about five or so inches of water is the range. Like, that would be maybe a normal range that you would see. 
What's the range of water you want to be blowing at that blue line at the sweet spot? You want to keep that level at the blue line. Is that that's that's the goal, right? That's yeah, that's the goal. So um, fundamentally, right, the more the more energy we can put through that reed, the more harmonics and richness is going to be produced. So therefore, we want to try and keep things at the top of the range perfectly steady. That's going to make a really good bagpipe sound. That's the, that's the major talking point when it comes to producing good tone. What are, what's some of the setups that people out there use? I mean, are they using sort of the tubes with the water in it, sort of wrapped up and hanging on something? Um, you got another using gauges? Like, yeah, let's do a poll. saying makes sense? <laughs> has this been in your experience, or is it, a, is it something completely different? I'm trying to, I'm, let's get a poll going. Let's find out. Uh, <laughs> oh, look, there's me with a mustache. Oh, God. Where's that from? Uh, <clears throat> what am I even doing? Okay, here comes a poll is starting to happen here. Add a new poll. And this poll is going to be something like... We take a poll of who likes the picture of Andrew. <laughs> who thinks Andrew should grow a bushy handlebar mustache? <laughs> All right. Here's your poll. Oh, actually, hold on. Let me edit this. I am manly enough. I don't use them in anger. <laughs> now let's do this one. Oh, can I can I choose both? Can I choose two? No. Uh, I, I think my numbers style. are dumb. Even though I use my gauge, I think they're dumb. <laughs> I hate them. Wow, I'm surprised how many tube styles. Most people are, I feel like I always come across people that are like, why do you use that stupid tube, Andrew? Why don't you use the gauge? The gauge makes way more sense. Yeah. I, I think that's because a lot of our listeners are probably dojo kind of in-tune people and may have uh -huh. maybe purchased their manometer from us. And nine people don't use a manometer. That's good. You guys feel, of the people, the ten now, of, that don't use a manometer, do you feel that your blowing is steady or could be improved? Here's the question. <coughs> is it because you just haven't done it or is it because you just feel like you don't need it? Your sound is so awesome. Nobody's willing to step forward. Steady. steady. <laughs> Good. I would, I would say as a diagnostic tool, though, even if you feel like you're the steadiest blower in the world, you know, just checking to make sure that the gauge proves that is a worthy exercise. Because there's always things, there's always places to improve, right? And there's always room to push further. And, you know, even if you think you're steady, a steady blower, you know, sort of putting it to the test is it's always, uh, you know, a good thing to do for yourself, you know? I'm not going to win any awards here with the, with, the, with the inches of water and strength and stuff like that. It's, like, it's all about being better, you know, producing a better quality sound on, on this instrument, you know. Yeah, uh, Steve has a great question. I use my manometer to measure the choke point, the double tone point, and the shutoff for his drone reads. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. How much more open should the John Reeds be compared to the chanter Sweet Spot? Which is a really um, advanced question, and you should just be proud of yourself for even realizing that is a question that you should ask. Um, what do you think the answer is? Are you feeling that to us? You ready for the answer, or should we answer it? Anybody can answer it. Oh, well, I, I would say that the the answer is it depends on how steady or how often you are staying within that sweet spot of the read. Because if you're always perfectly in that sweet spot, then I would calibrate the drone reads to be just a hair outside of that. I can give you a more precise answer. Yeah, you don't. Well, you don't want the drones playing and taking up valuable air <laughs> when the reed is making sounds you don't want, right? So right. You, definitely, you definitely don't want, you know, if the reed is squeaking on the low A and you're blowing too hard, you don't want your drones taking valuable air away from, from the, from the channel reed. So your drones shouldn't be taking any more than what you would normally play to get the optimal sound out of the reed. Um, <laughs> so let's see. So, so three. If you're using a manometer to gauge that. I mean, that's that's kind of where you know that's what calibration, drone calibration, is all about, right? If you're if you're blowing at the sweet spot and then it starts to make noise, um, and then your drone shut off. Yeah, so Steve says, would three inches of water be efficient? Well, it depends, Steve. Um, can you keep your pipes steady within three inches of water? Um, or, or maybe the answer is within six inches of water, um, being that gives you three inches over and three inches under. Um, or can you keep it in within, you know, four inches, two up and two, two under, uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of where where can you keep it as steady as possible and you're going to have to set your drones just outside of that limit um, so you're continually hitting the sweet spot um, or maybe a little up and a little under but your drones won't shut off within that range but any more than that and and they'll, yeah. they'll shut off. Yeah, you don't, you don't want, you occasionally you're going to have like a burst of energy and make some noises on the reed occasionally if, if you're playing at that level all the time. You know, can, you know, the sounds will get a little bit, a little bit, uh, squirrely there. But you don't want your drums shut off. So you want them to play when that happens, if that happens. So you just, just pass that would be the ideal okay. point, I guess. So you guys don't want to hear my answer? You guys do want to hear my answer? I want to hear your answer. You want to hear my answer? My answer is, um, you, the drone reads can be set to exactly the following point, which is the maximum deviation above the sweet spot that you witness while you're playing. So if you, let's say you play for 10 minutes. What's your maximum surging point? So some people don't surge when they play, but most people have surgy points in their blowing that they need to work on. And you can set your drones to exactly that point where your maximum surge pressure reached. Uh, and that's the exact point to which you can calibrate your drones. See what I'm yes. saying? Yes. So you, take, you can take speculation out of it. 
if you just sort of keep an eye on your manometer and visually mark out the top point that you hit. And then you can make sure all your drones shut off at that exact pressure where, you know, you're accidentally surging a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, I put up a poll here on the screen. Um, we're thinking about doing a noon class <coughs> at Dojo U. Um, now, regardless of whether or not you're currently a paying member, can you guys answer that poll? Who could do who could do noon on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday? Like, um, I guess it needs to not be a multiple choice, huh? It needs to be a multiple answers. Um, so go ahead, click off what you might be able to do. Like, we just want to get a feel for the world. What is what would the world be able to do there? A lot of people can do that noon hour. Doesn't seem to matter too much what day. Yeah. Actually, let's go. I'm going to go back to my single answer. Pick the best one. Pick the best one. What's the best day? What's the best noon day for you guys? Um, and then if you can't do it, click on no towards the bottom. Because I want to get, we have 39 people here, so we should have pretty close to 40 people checking that off, if possible. Uh, right now we're up to about 20. About half the people have responded. So what we're doing is I want to ask the, I want to ask the question that we didn't address about the monogamous. How often should you use it? How, how often should it figure into your practice routine? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm asking. I'm putting the question out there. What do we, what do we think? As often as you Do you use it every time you got the pipes out? Do you use it once a week, once a month? I mean, I don't know how I use it, but, you know. Um, so far, only about 20 people have responded to this poll. So even if the answer is no, we'd really like you to respond. Everybody see the poll? Yeah, I don't think you want to practice with the manometer all the time. Um, I would use it probably whenever I'm whenever I want to focus on my bagpipe quality. That's when I would use it for you know probably <clears throat> half an hour or more and just sort of observe things and work on things and try things. So yeah. Um, so maybe a, you know a couple times a week. It's kind of like what I what I understand about people who are physically fit is that they train different parts of their bodies on different days. Exactly. And so you, you want to put that stuff to the test, right? You know, after you've worked on that for a while, you want to you want to actually put it into practice and then check back, right? Which is kind of how I use it. I use it. I'll use it consistently just to sort of. I'm big on on how it feels, right? So you want you want to know how that all feels when you're playing, because you're not going to have the manometer in front of your face when you're playing for real. So you want to know how that all is supposed to sound, how it's all supposed to feel, and then once you've got it visually start doing it, you know, and then and then check back to see how well you've been doing it or how well it, it has it become has it has it habituated, you know. Um so, you know, for me I, I I use it like maybe I'll use it for like a stretch of three days, 
for a brief while during the practice session and then stop for a while, like a good, like two weeks almost. Now I use it maybe another time, like two, three weeks later, you know, just to see if it's working. You know, if I've, what I'm doing is what it's supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, guys. Well, let's, let me say we start wrapping it up here. Are there any last questions here before we uh, wrap up this session here about manometers? Uh, Andrew says, I've tried to move around a little bit while it's plugged up and it often comes out. Yeah, that's one of the tricks of the trade is finding the right size cork and then Carl twists it in a little bit. It all depends on what material you're using too, what type of pipes you have. Like yeah, like, like I said, like, uh, like the, the surgical tubing version that I have is like just uses the right size connector, so I don't have to worry about it. The cork fits perfectly, and it doesn't really uh, worry. But you seem like you said earlier, it's like every every change you make is a is a resistance point that alters, you know, the the, the performance of the thing. So you have to be sort of, you know, judicious about how you're extending it and where you put the connections and things like that. So. Steve says this is the best noon class he's attended. <laughs> How about that? Well, we're glad you think so, Steve. Thanks very much, everybody, for coming out. <clears throat> and uh, be sure to give us an email. At, uh, I'll write it down here, support at pipersdojo.com. It's the sort of main email for us. Hit us there with an email if you ever have any questions. Carl put up a link earlier. Um, you can purchase our version of the manometer at the, at the dojo, pipersdojo.com. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something you'll be looking forward to. And then um, <clears throat> Dojo U's got a whole bunch of classes on how to blow steadier. So if it's something you're interested in, be sure to sign up. Um, yeah, and then Lee was pointing out Bruce's class last night was really, really good. So for those who haven't heard, Bruce Gandy is um, sort of on staff with us now. He's, he's planning on doing that's a class awesome. pretty much every week as long as he's available. Um, and so you'll be seeing a lot of stuff from Bruce, and we got kicked off with a bang last night. It was pretty cool. So that's pretty cool. Are you, you going to be making advanced sort of warning about what he's teaching that week? For yeah, well, we'll, we'll start to release. Um, well, we'll release what he's going to teach on Sunday with the email that goes out on Sundays. So you'll know. You'll know by then. Cool. Um, and so that's it'll awesome. be really good. Certainly so does not get much better than that, right? Definitely not. So, All right. Sounds awesome, guys. Let's uh, call it in there. Thanks for coming. Excellent. Have a good day, everyone.